Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and I am here with my trusty co-host Larry Dersham and we are here to break down some exciting political news today. Not that we always talk politics but boy it really just seems like there's always something political to talk about. Well especially so close to the election one of the things on everybody's minds and really on a part of everybody's conversations over the last couple of days has been Thursday night's debate. Who won? Who do you think? Is it going to make a difference? Well I'm going to let Larry tell everybody what he thinks but my position is the big winner was the American public especially the undecideds who finally got to hear some substance. It wasn't just insults. It was a debate, not a debacle. It wasn't everybody interrupting everybody else, moderator, both candidates. It wasn't like that at all. And I'm not even sure that the moderator had to use that mute button that she actually had at her disposal should the debate have devolved like the first one did. So the undecideds actually had the opportunity to hear from both candidates, what are they going to do? And the president, he showed up tanned and toned down. And that was an enormous difference from the first debate. And he was armed not just with sound bites, but with substance. He was able to tell the American people what he has done in the last 47 months, and then compare that to what Joe Biden hasn't done in the last 47 years. In fact, that was one of his themes. Every time Joe Biden ended up talking about, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, that, the other, the president would just come back and say, you're all talk, no action. That characterized almost the entire debate on almost every single subject. And in fact, when Joe Biden became flustered, what did he do? He looked into the camera and he defaulted again to what? His sound bites. So it actually, in some sense, ended up looking like, at least in some portions of the debate, the president versus the politician. To Joe Biden's credit, he had studied and he had been very serious. He hunkered down and he was ready to go. I think he may have been tossed back on his heels somewhat by how strongly the president showed up. I mean, he was prepared, he was polished, he was poised, and he was polite. He even complimented the moderator at one point, really blew everybody away. So it was almost in a sense, like Joe Biden was the incumbent in terms of why haven't you done what you said you were going to do when you actually were in office for eight years. So rhetoric versus results, that was one of the things I think that really characterized the evening. The president was on offense without being offensive. But I don't know, Larry, do you really think that it made a difference or that it will make a difference in the polls? I'm hoping so. I just, uh, my hope is that people will look at the substance of what these two men are talking about and not just go with necessarily the uh, party affiliations that they kind of grew up with, that their their parents were of a certain party and then they're of that party. I just hope and pray that people will uh, vote based on uh, how their uh, economy, their personal economy has been as far as their jobs and uh, their home ownership and who is the best person that's going to lead us into a bright and optimistic 
future. You know, that's, well, that's a hope. good point, because remember what Joe Biden said. He talked about, well, we, you know, we haven't learned to live with it. We learned to die with the virus, a long, dark winter. That is like the last thing the Americans want to hear. They want to hear that. No, no, we've learned to live with it. We're going to beat it. We're going to fight it. We're going to have a vaccine. Thanks to Operation Warp Speed, we're going to learn how to open the economy safely, social distance and plexiglass and sanitize. We're going to learn how to beat the virus, i.e., we're not going to learn how to die with it. We're not going to give up. We're going to learn how to live with it. That That's was right. the, the president's message. Now, I, I like playing both sides of the field. So let me just tell you what the other side is arguing with respect to Joe Biden. They basically are arguing the following, that they believe that Joe Biden came and he at least, although it wasn't his best performance, he did far better in the first debate. He at least articulated some positions with a little more clarity than he has lately, despite the stutters and a little bit of the a little bit of what he probably hoped wouldn't happen during the course of the debate. They believe the president didn't articulate enough of a message. But his message was, even if he didn't say it as as, as best as he probably could, that we are going to see more of the same. He has done nothing in the last four years but move us forward as a country on every front imaginable, from the virus to the economy, to national security, to building a wall, to all the kinds of things that put him in office, including, by the way, three Supreme Court justices, because there's no question that Amy Coney Barrett's going to be confirmed on Monday. So with all of that, it really was a study in contrast. All Joe Biden had to do is show up and say, vote, But the president really showed up and brought his A game and really brought his polite game, his civil game, and was very much a a presidential candidate on Thursday night. He, He may, you know, people think he's a bull in a china shop, but he can't also be a bully. And he wasn't. Yeah. So, I mean, what's going to happen now, Larry? Right. Well, I I thought, uh, because I do a lot of estate planning, I thought, I've never heard anybody talk about this, that Joe Biden was struggling. I don't know if you saw those pauses and he was like searching for words. And again, I would just say that as a person that does estate planning with a lot of elderly people, I really noticed that. And it worries me. I mean, he's going to be the leader of the free world and his, uh, he'll have the codes for launching attacks and so forth. So is he up for the job? Another thing I thought was great that every time they brought up a topic like immigration and they talked about how, Uh, President Trump was separating families and so forth. Uh, He came back and said, well, a lot of those children are being brought up by coyotes and, uh, you know, drug smugglers and talk about who built the cages. That was a big thing back in the day when uh, it happened to be the Obama administration with uh, Joe Biden as vice president that built the cages. So every time he would come up with a thing, I thought uh, Trump had a really good retort and a very uh, accurate one. Larry, let me ask you something about likability, because one of the things, I mean, um, the president's style may be brilliant in the boardroom, but has to be relatable in the living room of all of the viewers, because viewers are voters. We know this. So Joe Biden has long come across as both likable, empathetic, and even sympathetic, because he has suffered a lot of loss in his personal life. Yes. So does, did the president give any indication? Did he soften his tone? Did he did he come across as any more likable and relatable? Now, I'll tell you one place I thought he did is he actually caught the virus. And yes. he came back from COVID. And in fact, you saw Melania join him on stage afterwards wearing a mask. So he really changed his tune on believing this virus is serious business because he actually contracted it. But did his tone tenor uh, actually come across as more relatable, do you think, during the debate? Or does Joe Biden still have a win, at least in that category? I I think, in my view, Trump is is the the person that has a real heart. If you have discernment, that's what I would call it. 
he loves this country. Would anybody doubt that he loves this country? They've been investigating him every which way. They've come up with nothing. He loves people. He's a little bit gruff, but he could be like the fireman or the policeman said. He could use some cuss words and get out of the house now. It's, the house is on fire. So his, his style could rub people the wrong way, but he's trying to save the house called the United States. And- Do you think it was fair of him to go after Hunter Biden? I mean, I know Joe Biden kept saying, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, you know, it's not about his family or my family. But is it true, Larry, that Americans care more about the health and wealth of their own families, not Joe Biden's? Well, I, I think that um, if you talk about Hunter Biden, I think it's going to come out and it's it's really strong evidence that uh, the big guy mentioned in all those emails that from Hunter Biden's uh, laptop are referring to Joe himself. And it looks like he's been involved in a number of deals. And I'll tell you, there's one right off the top where he got that uh, prosecutor in Ukraine fired. And he said, if you want a billion dollars, you're going to fire this prosecutor who happened to be looking into the company that Hunter Biden was involved with. If that is not a quid pro quo, I've never seen such a thing. I mean, that is out in the open and viewable uh, for everybody to research. Now, you have some kind of a rally coming up uh, that you organize, don't you? Yeah, yeah. We're having not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, November 1st, we're going to have it's called a non-essential peaceful protest. <laughs> and it's going to be down at Waterfront Park. It's right there between the county administration building at 1600 Pacific Highway and the bay. And we're going to have a number of great speakers. And we've already got it cleared with the county. Uh, it's quite okay to be there. Again, we'll have a number of great speakers. We're going to be uh, singing some songs, uh, doing a little bit of prayer, and I'm going to be emceeing the event. And if you can make it, it'll be at 12 noon to 1.30. So it's not going to last a whole long time. But if you can be there, please be there. We're, we're going to hopefully have the news media there and and as many people as possible. But that's real important. And uh, I would just Good. say, uh, secondly, just get out there and vote, folks, if you haven't already. Uh, I would recommend, this is my personal recommendation, don't mail it in if possible. Uh, it, go there to the polls in person. But if that doesn't work, there's a number of drop-off places where you can drop off your ballot. Uh, the main one is their headquarters there in Kearney Mesa, where you can just go there. They'll take your ballot and give you an I Voted sticker. But this is such an important uh, voting uh, time Please don't sit this one out, folks. Please. No, I think, you know, that's a really good message. And one of the um, one of the other things that came out of the debate is the statistic that I guess a third of America's already voted, which I think is unfortunate uh, if it's true, because they didn't have an opportunity to actually see a substantive debate. I, I mean, I thought both candidates brought both flash and substance. You know, it's debating is so hard. The stakes were so high. It is so hard to really get down on either candidate, given the fact that it has to be one of the most unnerving times in your life to be up on that debate stage when we already know the vote's going to be so close. And when you talk about voting, Larry, and we'll round out the first segment with this, voting is so important because we don't necessarily know how accurately the polls reflect the way the election's actually going to turn down, turn out. On the one hand, you can say, oh, but Joe Biden is much farther ahead of President Trump than Hillary Clinton was in 2016. On the other hand, you can also say there's probably a larger percentage of stealth voters, given the divisiveness that we're experiencing in this country. So I, I echo your remarks. However you want to vote, just make sure you do take part in the political process. We are going to continue to talk about these very important issues on the other side of the break. So please stay with us. We're actually going to have a guest who's an expert on public schools and what's happened to them over the last couple of decades. Another issue near and dear to our hearts. 
So stick with us. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Dr. Wendy Patrick. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. We're going to continue with an incredible show as we have every week because there is just so much news you can use. It's hard to narrow it down and decide what to talk about. And there are also uh, no dearth of guests to use given all the issues facing society, especially parents. And I understand that schools are really one of the hot topics, obviously, due to the pandemic and the different ways in which kids are learning or maybe not learning or what they're learning, I suppose. Those are all hot button issues. And Larry, I understand we actually have a guest today who is an expert on some of the more provocative, controversial topics that are currently being taught in our public school system. Who do we have on the line? Yes, Wendy, I'd like to introduce to you and our listening audience, Rebecca Friedrichs. Rebecca is the founder of For Kids and Country. She's also the author of Standing Up to Goliath. And she's a 28-year public school teacher who led the fight against the divisive tactics, politics, and corruption of teachers' unions. And she was the lead plaintiff in the case that went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court uh, called Friedrichs versus CTA. I believe that's for California Teachers Association. Her Supreme Court case paved the way for a precedent-setting ruling which freed all public sector employees from forced unionism. And she's also the founder of the Adopt-A-Teacher Project, which I want to find a little bit more about in this interview. Welcome to the program, Rebecca. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, Rebecca, so you took a very controversial topic all the way up to the Supreme Court. I know very few people who have done that. That had to have been an incredible feat. Tell me what that was like arguing a case so controversial, issues so important in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, well, it was pretty exciting, very much an honor. But I have to tell you, um, it was 10 teachers, all from California, all love the students, hardworking, and all we wanted, we, we were just arguing, teachers should be free to decide for ourselves without fear or coercion whether or not to fund unions who are using our money to push a very far-left, hard political agenda and actually damaging our students. So when we were bringing the case, um, the, the thing I guess that was the most difficult was the most common question I received. Thousands of people asked me the same question, and that was, are you afraid for your life? And the second most common was, are you afraid for your job? So this is just how brutal these unions are and how much they bully those who are trapped in these government unions that people are afraid to speak out. So um, that was probably the, the most exciting part. You know, it's, it's one thing, um, you know, there's lots of there's pros and cons to unions, and I know lots of people belong to them. But I think that the issue really at the heart of the case, and Larry has some questions along this lines uh, as well, the issue that really makes this so provocative and makes the questions that you were asked so relevant is we care so much, all of us do, 
one thing, I mean, bipartisan uh, agreement, we care about our kids. Um, and I think that part of what makes a case like this so difficult is there's these legal arguments and then there's really the practical arguments as to how do we keep our young people safe and make sure they grow up healthy. And I know, Larry, you may have some questions to pick up on along, along those lines as sure, well. I do. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting questions I had was, okay, we have local teacher unions, I believe, but we definitely have the California Teachers Union. And then we have the National uh, Teachers Union. Uh, are the, is that the NEA? Yes, that's one of them, National Education Association, and there's also American Federation of Teachers. Okay, and I understand it's the national associations as well as the state associations that are really pushing more of an agenda on the teachers. It's not necessarily the local uh, unions per se. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Yeah, very well said. Most teachers really like their local. In fact, I was a local union representative for three years. I served on the executive board of my local. And what I discovered there was I had no voice, and I couldn't gain a voice for teachers who were doing a great job um, because the state and national unions were so corrupt. They bullied us so much. We couldn't make our voices heard. So we had to find a way to break free from them. And the only way legally we could at that time, we had to pay them no matter what, even if we weren't members. But the only way we could find to break free was to overturn a Supreme Court precedent, which required all government employees to pay these unions, local, state, and national level. So the struggle is, even now, even with our win, even though you don't have to pay them anymore, now, if you're unionized, you have to be inside the local, the state, and the national. You can't separate them. You, most people would want to stay in their local and ditch the state and national. You can't do that. Why? The unions fought for laws to make it impossible. So um, our goal now is to help people to be aware that when they pay the union, most of their money is going up to the state and national. A very tiny fraction stays local. So it's important for people to realize it's time to break free from these unions. I'm wondering how much of that inspired the title of your book. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about the book, what inspired it, and uh, what it's about. Yeah, well, my book is called Standing Up to Goliath, and the subtitle is Battling State and National Teachers Unions for the Heart and Soul of Our Kids and Country. And the reason I wrote it and the reason we brought the case is because these unions uh, the government unions, not just some, you know, some people in a private company who have a union, we're talking government unions, are the root cause and funding and muscle and organizing of every harmful, divisive issue that's going on in our country right now. And they are using the money of unsuspecting employees, teachers included, to fund this very radical agenda that is actually undermining our American republic. The uh, teachers unions in particular are filled with um, uh, Marxist leaders yes. who are um, working together with very radical organizations using the money of unsuspecting employees to push an agenda most of us are against and are very frightened of. So the only thing we could do was to bring a lawsuit to find some way to give people freedom. So at least now, no government employee in the country has to pay these unions. Even if you're trapped inside of a union, you no longer have to pay them. That's great. So the teachers, so get this message out to all the teachers that may be listening. They don't have to 
belong to a teacher's union and they'll still be able to keep their contract and they won't be fired. Is that correct? Or that, is, that is 100% correct. And they also need to understand the way unions terrify teachers and government employees is they say, you need us. You need us for liability insurance and protection. Well, the truth is the unions are charging teachers 1000 1200 a year for quote-unquote protection. They're not safe at all. They're being used. And the liability insurance they have only kicks in if they get sued. So if your boss starts to harass you or you're, um, you're falsely accused and, you know, you're under investigation or whatever, the union's not going to do anything for you, nothing, zilch, only if you get sued. So you can actually go to our website for kidsandcountry.org, click on Teacher Freedom and Protection. You can learn, how to learn exactly how to opt out. We teach you how. We lead you to organizations that can help you if you need help. But the biggest news is, under that same uh, menu item, there's something called liability insurance. You can buy liability insurance from a private organization, and it's at a fraction of the cost. It's a couple hundred dollars a year. It's double the coverage of the unions, and they protect you even if you're harassed by your employer and not simply sued. So you can get better coverage. You can get better everything without the unions. Rebecca, you, you no doubt have a lot of strong opinions about teaching, particularly because you've done it for so many years. And of course, you were involved in this lawsuit. Um, but one of the things, so I, I mean, I think all our listeners would probably want to know uh, is what would your opinion be, given all the experience you have on so many different levels, on the fact that so many schools have gone virtual this semester? Is, is that really uh, as big of a detriment to the, the kids, both their psychological, emotional well-being? I would even say maybe their physical well-being, as people think. Yeah, you know, this is a complex question, and I have several different thoughts on it. Number one. If, you're, if the children are in a public school, the virtual learning has been an absolute disaster, and in many cases it's dangerous because if your child has a union activist teacher, the unions are the ones pushing the radical sex ed agenda that's out there, and they are pushing it via virtual learning. It's getting it's unbelievable, and I can send you some information if you'd like to share it with your, with your listeners. Um, the next thing is when, when the schools actually closed down and the children were removed from the schools, in a lot of ways I was glad because the children aren't safe in our public schools and neither are the teachers. However, children should be um, educated and teachers should be allowed to teach well. So our public schools need to be cleaned up and I'm hoping that this um, situation that we're in right now will help to push that further that we'll start getting these unions out and getting our schools cleaned up and getting parents and teachers back in charge again, good teachers. That's great. Well, you know, uh, really briefly, uh, Rebecca, yeah, uh, the uh, Biden signed on to the 110-page manifesto uh, that was put forth by Bernie Sanders, and one of those uh, points in the manifesto is forced unionization of both the public and private sectors. So it sounds like this vote uh, on November 3rd is more important than than even I've been talking about. Oh, my gosh, that is so frightening. Forced unionization is what's caused every problem in this country. It's what's uh, the unions are the ones who are attacking our freedoms, our republic. They're the ones that have destroyed our educational system. So uh, to have forced unionization would be the worst thing that could happen to this country. Our case overturned forced unionization, so I'm not surprised that they're trying to sneak it in another way. Please don't vote for that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it, and I'll tell you what, it was some great information, really from somebody who's an expert in the topic. So thank you very much. I know our 
listeners are, they love different perspectives and to hear from both sides of the aisle. And they really did hear um, some good information from you tonight. So thank you also for reminding everybody to vote. Larry and I make sure we did that on the first half. Yeah, thank so you, thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us and for telling us where to, where they can learn more about you and your book and about the unions. Um, and we also wanted to remind everybody out there, we've got an election coming up less than two weeks. Make sure you get out and vote. We will be back in one week, which is Halloween. So um, yes, we're going to have some special surprises uh, during that show. So please have a wonderful week. God bless you. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We will be back next week. Have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 